1 Thessalonians chapter 5. If you're using one of the blue chair Bibles, it's on page 988. When I was in college and a little bit into seminary, I got to be around a lot of parents sending their kids off to the beginning of their adult lives. So when I worked at a summer camp, many counselors had just graduated from high school, and this was the first time they were living away from home for this, period, this long a period of time. Many announcements were made of, call your mom so she'll stop calling us. I was also a freshman orientation leader uh, for my school. And so from both of these positions that I held for a couple of years there, I got to see a lot of these first days of independence for these young kids. And in both cases, it was part of my job to facilitate sort of those final conversations, those last ones before going to camp or going to starting school. It was a time for the parents and the kid to say goodbye. It was a time for warnings about focusing on school. There were many directions about how to do laundry. There were many conversations of the parents encouraging their child that it was going to be okay and that they were going to do great. As we get to the final parts of 1 Thessalonians, I can't help but see the Apostle Paul as a sort of spiritual father to this young church ending his letters with a bunch of concise, short commands and statements. You can see him saying, oh, before I go, here's, I, I just need to make sure I say these things to you. And as we look and take our time working through what are going to be pretty short and pretty on the face simple commands and statements, we're going to learn today from these about how to care for each other. What does it look like, with a little more detail, to obey Paul's command from chapter 5, verse 11, to encourage one another and build one another up? And specifically today, I want to look at one aspect of Christian maturity, which is growing in our capacity to care for others. So what does it look like for you, for each individual in this congregation, to grow in our ability and capacity to care for each other? So our big idea, I'm going to borrow... Just again from verse 11 of chapter 5, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. To begin talking about the care we are to have for one another, Paul begins by speaking about the leaders that have care and responsibility over the Thessalonian church. So let's look at those who care for you in verses 12 and 13. Follow along as I read. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. 
Paul speaks to the members of the Thessalonian church on behalf of their leaders, on behalf of their elders. They are to respect and esteem those who serve in those parts of the church. They are to recognize and understand that God has given leaders to the church. You see there in verse 12, over you in the Lord. There is a leadership structure that is God-approved, and those leaders are, are hard at work among the people. It needs to be said because often in our culture, any, any idea of structure or leadership structure, which might be called a hierarchy, is viewed as innately bad. And what we need to see here is that it is, yes, easy to abuse these structures. And you have as many examples as you have in your life of when this went wrong. But it is not an innate problem. Because this is a God-approved structure for the good of his people. And there is to be a recognition of the burden of responsibility that leaders have in caring for and leading the church. And there is love that God's people are to have for their God-given leaders. In addition to this, I want us to notice the type of care that Paul chooses to highlight in this verse. Now, obviously, this is not all that could be said about leadership, but we must see the importance of the work of leaders. Look at what they are called, described as doing in verse 12. To respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. To admonish someone, again, that's not a normal, I, I don't know the last time you used that when you were going to the grocery store or talking to your spouse. But what does it mean to admonish? It means to warn or to correct someone. This is not the normal way we think of someone caring for us. But the Bible tells us we must include it in our understanding of leadership, in care. That the leaders of the church, central to their work, was to admonish, to correct God's people. This is one of the reasons I spoke about and tried to bring to mind the idea of parenting in the introduction. We see in parenting, because most of us have experienced at least some of that, or at least seen enough of it to know, that parenting is complex in the care that you are to give to your kids. If you only told your kids what they did right, you wouldn't be a good parent. And we know that because parenting is complex. In the same way, the leadership in the church is complex. It includes encouragement, as we'll see a little bit later in the passage, but it also must include correction and admonishment. And we need a big enough understanding of the Bible to see that. When you read this, and it's a little weird preaching to you about a section of text that includes me, (laughs) 
But I want to draw back a little bit and want you to think of your elders more broadly, of which I am one. We have a plurality of elders. And I want to testify that the elders do labor for you. They do love you and care for you, even when it means correction. So pray for us. Pray for me. Pray for the board, all of the different members. For Dave and Dave and John and Jim and Steve. Because we do seek to labor for you. We seek to work hard and to do what is best. As we move on from this, I want to point out the end of verse 13. Look how verse 13 ends. Be at peace among yourselves. Now it feels sort of jarring. He's talking about those in leadership and all of a sudden jumps to, hey, everybody get along. And we have to think, why would he do that? Well, one of the things that this is teaching us is that when we properly understand God's plan for leadership in the church, that that is one of the ways that we maintain and build peace in the body. That one of the responsibilities of the members of a church is to build a culture of peace and harmony through understanding, through loving and esteeming those whom God has placed over you. One of the ways that you are called to be a godly peacemaker is to peacefully submit to those God has placed over you. And yes, we can all think of times where there have been sinful wrongs committed by those in authority. But don't let sinful people distract you from the truth that is in God's word. That when we esteem and respect those in authority over us, it is a way of building peace within the body of Christ. So beginning by looking at those who have cared for us, I want to spend most of our time in verses 14 and 15 where we are going to see caring for others. And as we read this, I want you to have as your lens for this that this is something that all believers are called to do. One of the easiest ways you get into trouble is you relegate care to those in leadership. Right? And they're a part of this because, again, this includes everybody. But there can be real unhealthy churches. Well, that's what we pay the pastor for. So I don't have to care for that person because, well, that's what he does. And I want you to see as we look through this that all of us, me, you, everyone here, are called to care for one another. Let's read verses 14 to 15. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. As we look at these verses, I want to highlight what in my mind works as three categories of people. 
that when you think through, how do I interact with this person? And I do this personally of using the three groups in verse 14 as a way to understand how am I to care for this person that God has placed in my life. So let's start with that first category, admonish the idol. Now here, idol can refer to the idea of someone who's just lazy, but it also can refer to someone who is undisciplined. And the idea is that each of us, if someone has placed an idle person in our lives, in our relational sphere of influence, that we are to correct them. Notice it's the same verb given to the elders in the previous verses. So again, we see the transferable nature of this care, that just as the elders are called to admonish those in the church, so too we are called to admonish one another. There are people in your life that you need to warn, that you need to correct. Oftentimes, the difference between the admonishment that leaders in the church do and that we do individually is more a difference not in kind, but in scope, seriousness, and frequency. But how many problems can stay small when each of us are personally invested in the lives of others? Oftentimes, when a conflict reaches the plate of the leaders, it has had time to fester and grow. But each of us are called to correct and warn one another. The physical picture of this, and I'm going to try to have this for each of the categories, is the idea of a coach. So let's think of a basketball coach. The coach has to teach the skills of the game, but also has to correct the bad habits of the coach. Or, sorry, the bad habits of the players. Right? If you had a coach that was just saying, good job, good job, if that's all they were doing, they wouldn't be a very good coach. Now, I'm not, doing some, I'm not uh, condoning some of the yelling that you see on the sidelines. <laughs> Again, it's a metaphor. You're not actually a coach. And I don't want anyone to have a heart attack because of this. But we understand it with coaching. That there's both the encouragement, but there also has to be that correction. If the kid takes the basketball and just runs without dribbling, they need to know you have to dribble or else the other team's going to get the ball. The coach also has to motivate the team to give full effort. Sometimes the team doesn't want to play. They're not into it, and the coach's job is to get them moving. Again, these are word pictures that we can picture in our heads to help us understand that the coach must discipline, the coach must motivate. And in the same way, we admonish each other. We warn and we correct so that our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ can grow in their faith and good works. Let's move to the second category in verse 14. Encourage the faint-hearted. Now, when we say faint-hearted here, 
One author puts it this way, those who were in danger of giving up. These are the people who are afraid, nervous, or have something that is holding them back. The idea is that it is an issue of being willing, not necessarily an issue of being able. There are those in our lives who know what they should do, and because it is new or it is difficult or whatever reason, they are timid and not sure they want to do it. Again, if admonishing the idol is the coach, here encouraging the faint-hearted is the nudge of a parent, sort of nudging the child to do what is new and what is perhaps difficult. You're not shoving the kid in. <laughs> You're just giving them the nudge that they need. And oftentimes it's that small encouragement that helps the faint-hearted. Maybe they need you to come along with them. It's often small, and it often doesn't cost us a lot to be an encourager. But this is one of the categories we have for one another. In my experience, many people are in this category. We know what we should do, but we're scared. Encourage one another. Maybe you encourage them with the words that you are confident that they can do that thing. Maybe you encourage them with saying, you know what? I know this is hard for you. Let me help you do it. But you're not doing it for them. We need to encourage one another that just tips the scales so that we will do what God has called us to do. The third category there, help the weak. Again, if the idol is doing something wrong and the faint-hearted is scared but knows what they should do, here, the weak refers to an issue of ability. That person is not able for whatever reason. In the context of the Bible, the weak can refer to someone who is physically in need or does not have the status to help themselves. So we think of a place like Zechariah chapter 7, verse 10, that lists the widows, orphans, the immigrants, and the poor. Oftentimes they are the weak in that they are not able to do what they need to do for themselves. But the weak can also refer, in places like 1 Corinthians 8, to someone who is young and immature in their faith. And what are we to do for them? We are to help them. We are to serve them. The physical picture I have for this one, and I promise this is the last sports analogy today, player gets injured on the court or on the field, right? Medic or medical professional goes out to them, and let's say they injured their knee, and what do they do? They put their arm over their shoulders and they help them walk out. That's the physical picture of what we are to do for each other. They are not able to get back to the sidelines to receive more medical care. They cannot walk there on their potentially broken knee. They need help. They need someone 
to help carry that burden. The injured person doesn't need correction. Why'd you do that? Why did you get hit in the knee? They don't just need encouragement. Come on, get up, get up, get up, get up. No, they need help. And for many of us, this is the hardest category because honestly, it's the most costly. There can be also difficulty when we don't know if a person needs help or if they need encouragement. And we need wisdom to know the difference. But what we must see is that all of us are called to the hard work of helping those who need help. Be quick to serve others. Be quick to serve in a way that can even be costly because it's right and it's good. Now the next two commands that we see in verse 15, I think are sort of larger categories that help us do the three categories that we just talked about. So what do I need to help me admonish the idle, to encourage the faint-hearted, and to help the weak? Well, the first thing I need is patience. Look at the end of verse 14. Be patient with them all. So whether I'm correcting, whether I'm encouraging, or whether I'm helping, I need to be patient. When you're interacting with someone, let alone when you are serving someone else, you must have patience. Correction without patience is harsh and pushes people away. Help and encouragement without patience is short-lived and goes away quickly. Too often, we, we want the quick fix, and rarely does the quick fix work. Patience with others is a true sign of Christian maturity because it affects so many aspects of our lives. So we need to be patient, not just with some, not just the ones that we like, but patient with them all. The second big category in verse 15 is I'm going to call do, do good to all. Look at verse 15. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Now again, the first part of 15 sort of sounds like it doesn't really fit with the rest of the verse. That's why I think if we start with the end of the chapter, with the end of the verse, it makes more sense. In every interaction, we are to always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Now, what does that include? First of all, it shows us that all of the actions of correction, encouraging, and helping are part of our call to do good to everyone. Secondly, when we, when we correct, encourage, and help, we are leading others to do good to all. So we're helping them do what's right in their own lives. Thirdly, we must notice that when we are to do good to one another and to everyone. 
that in everything we are to do, whether it's interacting with one another, that's another believer, or to everyone, those are unbelievers, those in our community. But also, I want you to see the high standard here. I don't know if Facebook talks about this anymore, but they used to have a saying, do no evil. Now again, we can talk about that later for a while, but I want you to see the difference between not doing something wrong and the command here to do something good. It is easier not to harm than it is to actually do a positive good for someone. And here we have an obvious higher standard than Facebook. Don't just not do harm. Do good to one another and to everyone. Our faith is an active faith of good works. Not just to the people we like, not just to the people we want to, but to each other and to those outside the faith. A couple points of application as we close this morning. How are you following those whom God has put over you in the Lord? Do you understand what this passage says, that they are laboring on your behalf? Are you willing to accept even correction, if that is what needed? And are you at peace with those whom God has put in authority over you? And secondly, how is God calling you to care for others today? And I want you to think specifically here. Is there someone that God has placed in your life who needs warning or correction? And you're not sure that conversation's going to go well. but you know they need to hear it. Is there someone who needs encouragement? Again, think of the needs of people outside of yourself. Too often, we're so focused on what we need. But so much of the Bible is looking outside of ourselves to the needs of others. Is there someone who needs help? And this is a hard one. This is the costly one. Is there someone whom God has placed in your life that you need to help carry their burden, even though it's a heavy burden? And again, all of us are called to this. Don't think, well, who should help them? <laughs> We think, who can I help? Again, that's easier to think, man, that person should really help that person. <laughs> and there's a time for that. There's a time to say, hey, could you help this person because I don't know how to help them. Yeah. But part of believing in a sovereign God is understanding that God has sovereignly placed people in your life that you are called to serve. And in all of this, be patient with all. Do good to all. 
and care for one another. This is not just the jobs of the leaders of a church. It's not just the job of those who are talented and good at a lot of things. God has sovereignly placed you in the lives of other people so that you can care for them and serve them. Be bold in seeking to care for others. Trust that God has a plan for that care and that he will give you the strength and the patience to do it. Let's pray. Father God, as we hear from your word how we are to care for others, that you would be putting a name or a face on our hearts right now. Maybe there's someone that needs that hard conversation of correction or warning. Maybe somebody needs that, that moment of encouragement or that support. Or maybe that person needs all-out help. God, help us to be patient in all that we do. Help us to always seek to do good to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and to those in the community that you have placed in our lives. God, that you would grow us in our capacity to care for one another. God, give us a heart to help and a desire to to serve those around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This time I want to invite those who are helping with communion to come forward at this time.